Well, uh, thank you again for uh, being here for those who came in after uh, our initial greeting and welcome. Uh, thank you so much for uh, being part of what God is doing in our midst today. Uh, we have a special privilege to hear from uh, guest, two guest speakers today, but um, before I introduce them, uh, I wanted uh, for us to say hello to some dear friends of ours. Uh, James and Lauren Kim are here with us. They are uh, long-time harvesters. They will always be harvesters, um, been with us for many years, and uh, several years back they were uh, sent out as missionaries uh, to be uh, oversee Pioneers, a great missions agency in Canada, uh, and they're here. And every spring break, they come back home uh, to their family to be with us, and so it's a great blessing for us to be here. Their girls are here as well, two of them, uh, Chloe and Zoe. Uh, Phoebe is in the Kingdom Keepers, yeah, so she's wor worshiping with them. Uh, can we put you all on the spot and just have you guys stand and, so that we can uh, recognize you and, and say thank you so much and express our love and devotion. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah please take some time to, uh, I know you will, but uh, yeah, take some time for those of you who know them to greet them and love them well. And if you don't, introduce yourselves to them and let them know that we are praying for them always. Um, it's our privilege to hear today from uh, Pastor uh, James Cha and his wife, uh, Sister Faith Cha. Uh, they are uh, missionaries serving in, in, in many, different, uh, many different ways. Uh, they're down here teaching um, other prospective missionaries and people who want, who have a heartbeat for missions. I'm down here at a class called Perspectives, and they were doing that. And then uh, yesterday they came and they trained uh, our summer mission, uh, summer uh, short-term missionaries, as well as other people who uh, just wanted to learn about um, what God is doing amongst the nations and how we could be better equipped. And it was such, a, uh, such an inspiring and convicting and challenging and informative time, and I'm so thankful for, for them that they got to do this, uh, that we got to be part of that together with them. Uh, their ministry um, was in Central Asia for many years, and, and their story, their, the, the sense of call and what God did in their lives was pretty amazing, but they were called to ministry when they were uh, teenagers or, or, or early in their 20s, and between the time of calling to the time they actually went to the mission field, there were 17 years of preparing them. And so I think this is a beautiful testimony to the fact that when we're waiting, God is always working in us and preparing us for the work that he's doing that is never wasted. And for 17 years, God worked in them and consecrated them. And they went to Central Asia working amongst many Muslim people. And uh, when I would get their email updates, you know, there would be times where, you know, as a, as a young, growing believer, I would read uh, the Bible, read the book of Acts and see these miracles and, and wonder, are these things really possible today? And then I will read their letters and I would see a living, modern-day example of miracles, people being healed and uh, just amazing things that are happening and uh, people's families being saved and coming to know the Lord. And that's still happening, not just in the mission field in Central Asia, but in Virginia as they minister amongst um, uh, um, many different people groups. Um, wherever they go, it's like the book of Acts says, uh, wherever the church went in persecution, wherever they went to preach the gospel as they were scattering. And that's their, their lives. They minister in prisons. They minister to, to refugee populations and uh, teaching ESL and, and many open doors that God has given to them as the nations come to us here in America uh, and they're going to share about being ambassadors to the nation. So can we welcome Pastor James and Sister Faith as they come to share with us? Thank you, Pastor DL. You know, as I was listening to these encouraging words, I was thinking, who's that James Cha? I don't know him. Um, but thank you for the words. Um, and I actually asked my wife to come up and pray for us. She's, um, we've been married this year, 27 years. And she's my BFF, and so I would like her to pray for us. And I, actually, I'm going over, coming, getting over a cold, so she's going to pray for my throat as well. Yeah, that's fine. 
heads together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for inviting us to this banquet, Lord, of uh, rejoicing your children able to open their arms and, and sing, uh, open their hearts and, and their mouths and praise you. And, and we can dance freely, Lord, in this place because you are our Father and you delight over us. You said, um, the Lord your God is with you, Harvest Church, the Lord who is mighty to save. He rejoices over you. He quiets you with his love, and he delights over you with singing. And that's who we are. And we thank you, God, that you call us your children. Hallelujah. Through the blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of our Lord. Father, we um, ask for your presence to anoint Pastor James and even myself as we proclaim the works that you have done in and through us and among your people groups. We thank you, Lord, for giving us a privilege, and we ask that you would uphold uh, Pastor James with your righteous right hand. Lord, heal him from his cold and heal him, Lord. Empower him with your Holy Spirit so that he may not hold anything back, but he will proclaim your word faithfully. And we just thank you for this honor and privilege that we can do this together as a couple. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thank you. And she's going to join me a little bit later to share part of the testimony of what God is doing through ESL ministry, English as Second Language ministry in D.C. I just also want to echo, echo uh, Pastor D.L.'s words of encouragement and just um, thankfulness, uh, gratitude for the Kims, James and Lauren Kim. As we were joining Pioneers, they played a great role in encouraging and just challenging us to go out to the field. And so this morning, as we look into God's Word, and as we try to share what God is doing overseas and here, if we can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. So that will be our main text, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. And the words are also on the screen, if you don't have your Bible with you. And it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so this morning, as we look into this passage, just three simple points, and <clears throat> similar to the outline on your, in your bulletin, first, Paul reminds us or tells us that we have a new life in Christ, that we have been made new in Christ. Second, that we have a new purpose in Christ. Now that we have received a new life, a new identity, now we also have a new purpose in Christ. And then third, that this Christ who has given us new life and new purpose, he has unlimited, unmatched authority on heaven and on earth. And this is critical and crucial, especially for people like us as missionaries. I think there's a a sister going to China, eventually to North Korea, praise God. But she and I, and we need to know that the one who sends us has all authority. 
Otherwise, we start acting out in fear, you know, out of man's own strategy. So that's the third point. So focusing on the first point, verse 17, our new life in Christ. He says, Paul says, And the Lord tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And regardless of our background, whether we were born into a Christian home, going to church, whether we were Catholic, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, it doesn't matter. We, it says we, when we were born into this world, we did not know God. And Ephesians 2 says this clearly, that God being rich in mercy because of us, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even though <clears throat> we were dead in our sins, he made us alive in Christ. And this is by God's grace. It's nothing that we have done. You know, as we were working with Muslims now for the past 18 years or more, but especially in Central Asia, as we were working with Muslims, we learned many interesting facts about them. Did you know that Muslims, um, according to their tradition and law, when they clip their nails, you have to start with the right forefinger and then go in this direction, and then the thumb, and then the left hand, and then the right foot and the left foot. And if you don't do it that way, it's a sin. And you would think, wow, that's, <clears throat> that's pretty demanding. But yet they have to know all these rituals in order, in order to um, make sure that they don't sin against their God. And it's, so it's a religion of works, such a burden to them, but it doesn't bring them life. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, that we have been given this life in Christ. And afterwards, that we, we don't live for ourselves, but for Him. And whatever we do from that point on, we are living and fulfilling you know, the righteousness that He requires of us because He lives in us. And not for salvation, but because we have been saved. But before... Coming to Christ before being made alive, the Bible tells us that all of us born into this world, that we were born into the kingdom of darkness, that that's the sad reality of everyone, whether you're born in the States, born overseas, born as a Muslim, or even into a Christian home. Paul tells, reminds us in Colossians 1, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And may I remind you that regardless of how, where we were born, you know, even into what faith, what philosophy, all of us, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve, when they listened to the voice of Satan, and disobeyed God. From that point on, death has come into this world. And we, Adam and Eve, chose to be their own masters. And in, in, in fact, what happened was from that point on, their master was no longer themselves. It's not God, nor themselves, but Satan, you know, who would keep them in this bondage of sin, in bondage of addiction. Some of us come out of that, have come out of that, praise God. Some of us have come out of a false religion. And the Bible says, 
God has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so now that we have this new life, in verse 15 of the same chapter, it says, And he died for all, that those who lived should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so that's for all of us, regardless of our age, whether we were young when we came to Christ, 70 when we came to Christ, it doesn't matter. Once we come to Christ, it says we no longer live for ourselves. It's not going for the American dream, not the Korean-American dream, I think, which is worse than the American dream. You know, not going after any of our own dreams, but the dream that God has for us, the purpose that God has for us. And so here's the new purpose that we have in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. That's it. We no longer live for ourselves. We now live our lives representing Christ wherever we go. Not just on short-term mission, but even at our workplace, in our home, to our spouses, to our children, to our parents. But especially in the context of going to places where they don't have the gospel, where they don't know Jesus, this is what it means to be an ambassador. An ambassador represents his country or king. That's our role. You know, wherever we go, especially for me and my wife, as we engage with Muslims, we want to tell them about Jesus. Yeah, we can start with the Washington Redskins. That's a good, good football team back where we are. But eventually, you want to transition over to Jesus. We represent him. And second, our job is to share. We tell other people about Jesus. We don't convert them. That work belongs to God. He is the one who opens their hearts and brings the salvation message into their hearts in a way that they can understand it and they come to faith in Christ. So we are Christ's ambassadors who, number one, proclaim God's truth. We speak about Jesus. We tell people about the parables of Jesus. We tell people what Jesus has done in our lives. Number two, that we show God's love, whatever love that we have received from God, and even in new ways as God leads us, that we show love, mercy, compassion, and serve people who do not know Jesus. And three, that we demonstrate God's power. Not that we have power in ourselves, but as we pray in the name of Jesus for people, trusting that he will fulfill his promises, we can see God doing work of healing, of delivering people from nightmares, from demons, because that's the authority that Jesus has and he will do. So, first point, proclaiming God's truth. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So wherever you go, you know, for us as we were going out to Central Asia and now we're in D.C., as we engage with people, that we want to explain to them why we think Jesus is great, why we think he's the greatest. And Jesus himself, when he came here 2,000 years ago, he set an example of that. You know, as he was visiting people, homes, or people were coming to visit him, there were times when 
He didn't do any miracles. He didn't heal anybody. He, ex- he just was in a dialogue, a conversation. And we see this in John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He comes to Jesus with a question. And during that process, Jesus starts to reveal to him this important fact. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The only way that you can enter into heaven is to be born again. And he begins to explain the process of that. So let me share with you about Miriam. She is a a Muslim woman from Sierra Leone. My wife and I, we met her at a friend's birthday party about five years ago in Northern Virginia. And when I first met her, she introduced herself and said, um, I've been to the Mecca 11 times, and which is a huge, uh, for her, a huge phenomenon, huge feat, because Sierra Leone is a poor country, and for her to go to Mecca 11 times means that she has wealth. So she said that proudly, but in my heart, as soon as I heard that, then I said to myself, oh, then you didn't find what you're looking for. Because as Muslims, they're supposed to find the peace of God, peace of Allah, when they go to the Mecca for the first time, their pilgrimage, but she didn't find it. So she went 10 more times. So I told her, here, sit next to us. And I told her this story. And it's called Visit of the Two Prophets, and we have a pamphlet of this outside as you leave. But basically, basically it's a story. And I said to Miriam, let me tell you a story about this one distant village, very poor, they don't have a church, no mosque, no temple. And the people were praying to God, God, send us someone to tell us about you. And so one day, two men show up, and both men claim to be prophets, not just teacher of God, but prophets. And so the men were excited, and the, men, the, t- uh, the townsmen, they went to the first prophet the next day after he came into the town, and they took a woman. She was pregnant but not married. And so they asked the first prophet, what should we do with her? And the first prophet says, you know, this is a sin against God and against the community. You need to stone her. And they were about to stone her, and then one of the men said, wait, there's a second prophet. If he says the same thing, then it's a confirmation, and we'll stone this woman. So they go to the second prophet, and the second prophet asks them a question and makes a statement. He who has no sin, let him be the first to throw the stone. And from the oldest to the youngest, they drop the stone and they leave. And the second prophet says to this woman, neither do I condemn you, sin no more, and he lets her go. The next day, a man comes to the first prophet and he asks him a question and says, asks him, I have been married 10 years. My wife has not given me any children. She's not a good cook and she doesn't clean the house well. What do I do with her? And the second, first prophet says to her, you know, the intelligence of a woman is half of that of a man. And that's why you need to discipline and train her to be a good cook and a good housewife. And the fact that she hasn't given you any child means that God has not blessed her. Maybe God, God's curse is on her. If you want, you can divorce her or just keep her and take a second wife. So this man goes to the second prophet and asks him the same question. And the second prophet then asks him, how many Eve did God create for Adam? 
And he says, one. And the second prophet says, that's right. God intended Adam and Eve to be married for life. If God wanted Adam to have two, three, a hundred wives, he would have created a hundred Eves. But he created only one. And God wants you to love your wife as you love your own body. Cherish her. Take care of her. Who knows? She may start cooking better for you. <laughs> and remember our prophet Abraham. He was 100 years old before he had the first child, the promised child. Pray for your wife. Perhaps next year you may have a child. And then there's one more story, so you have to read that. That's um, kind of giving you a, a prelude to this uh, parable. But after telling this three different scenarios, I asked Miriam, which prophet would you follow? And without hesitation, she said, I will follow the second prophet. And I, we opened up right to John chapter 8, the account of the woman who was caught in adultery and how Jesus showed mercy. Muslims are looking for a God of mercy. They don't have it. As you might have guessed, the first prophet is Muhammad. The second prophet is Jesus and so Faith was right there next to me. She shared the rest of the gospel story. And this woman came to Christ in a matter of two hours. Praise, praise God. It's not us. It's the truth of Jesus Christ and what he said and what he taught, which opened the heart of this woman towards a compassionate God. And so no miracles, you know, no casting out of demons. It's simply a conversation. And any one of you can do that through your testimony. So take notes when Pastor D.L. is giving messages on Sunday. Who knows, it may be that very message that God will use the next week to bring a Hindu to Christ. And I just want to highlight this strategy. I shared this yesterday, but may I say, I just want to encourage you, the key strategy in any evangelism is to lift Jesus higher. You know, Muhammad and Jesus are not at the same level. Muhammad would never have done what Jesus did. And actually, in the Quran, Muhammad had to be given, forgiven three times. Allah said that to him, you are cleansed, which means he had, he was sin. he had sinned. Even in the same book, Muslim, in, in the Quran, they say Jesus is sinless. So they already see that Jesus is different from Muhammad. But you want to take that and elevate Jesus even higher. When you lift Jesus higher than Muhammad or Buddha, or anyone else in this world, people start having faith in Jesus. Second, show God's love. So first we proclaim God's truth. Next, we show God's love. Matthew 5, 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus says, whatever you do, Whatever Jesus places on your heart, even to serve and love, including your enemies, when people see that, they will, their hearts will turn towards God. And Jesus himself, just like I shared a few minutes ago, how he chose not to uphold the Old Testament law to condemn this woman caught in adultery, but instead he covers her shame, her guilt, her fear, her sin with mercy. And he allows her to go. And we know in John chapter 13, before his crucifixion, before his arrest, he washed the feet of the disciples in a symbolic way of saying, I'm here to serve. 
And so now, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, you and I, God has called us to serve people in the community who are in need, many of them who are not Christians. And so I'm going to invite my wife to come up at this time to share about how God is doing that in Leesburg. You, you see a picture of a Korean-American couple living in Sterling, Virginia, and um, Kelly and Mike have committed to serve a homeless community in Leesburg area. So what they would do is every month, they would uh, make a pot of chili or soup and take some rice and some kimchi at times and, and, and take them over to a homeless shelter uh, and feed about 30 or 40 people, um, depending on what time of the season. And so they would take three little children with them. Um, and that, for that Monday, once a month, the children have to go to bed late. Um, but they would sacrifice that. The children are eight, ages like five and seven and eight. And they would make cupcakes with mommy and then take, take that over to homeless shelter. One time I said, Kelly, I would like to join you. So I went there with Kelly and Mike and as we were serving, I noticed there was a woman uh, with a boy, and she looked Middle Eastern. And because of my heart goes out to the Muslims, I sat next to her, and her name is Suzanne. And she's from Egypt, and the son is about nine years old, and his name is Amur. And um, I got her story as we were just sitting down, having dinner together, and uh, with tears, Suzanne began to tell us her story. Uh, what happened was her husband in Egypt divorced her, left her for another woman, and so she was single mom, uh, raising a boy, but she couldn't meet her ends meet. So she decided that she would come to America um, and live with her older brother, and who is a now a very successful, went after American dream, and he, he's living in a, a very, um, you know, million-dollar home, and so she thought, wow, I could find refuge under my brother's roof. So she and, and Amr lived there for about a month, but after a month, um, the brother's fifth wife, number five wife, did not appreciate her being there. She was a burden. Um, they were taking a lot of financial um, uh, just expenses. So they were kicked out. The brother and the, the wife them out. And they were left on the street, literally, in the middle of December, Christmas time. And so she was devastated, but she found the shelter. That's how she ended up there. And she said to me, Faith, could a truly, uh, your own flesh and blood, do this to, to someone like me, a single mom with a, with a son? And she was just crying. And she said, I felt so abandoned, so rejected. Uh, so humiliated, and, uh, and she just, I, I don't know what, what's going to happen to us. And so I just laid my hand on her, and I said, Suzanne, God has a purpose why he brought you here. But the Lord God loves you, and he says, I will be with you. He's your good shepherd. He will provide for you. Let's pray. And then I began to pray, and, and then she, um, we hugged each other, and I said, would you come to our ESL? classes because her English was kind of broken and I noticed that she needs to have a job in the future 
So I said, come to our ESL class. And, and I picked her up, and, and the next day she came, um, and um, she really enjoyed the ESL classes. The, the, the environment is very friendly and uh, just really full of love, and, and, and the community is very tight there. And then um, about a, uh, just a couple of months later, I noticed that they need some food. Uh, they were still living in the shelter, but I would, uh, Pastor James and I would take them to grocery shopping or, and then notice that they need dental work and, and someone from our church uh, was a dentist and, and I connected uh, this family with, uh, with our sister Grace and she said, yes, I can do a pro bono uh, ministry for them. And then also an immigration lawyer from our church who said, I'll do a pro bono uh, paperwork and get her work permit. And so she, so she got all these things uh, through the loving kindness of the church body. And then one day she turned to me and said, Miss Faith, you are a mirror to your God. And I said, wow, are you saying that I'm a reflection of our, our God? And she said, yes, you are a reflection to me. She said, thank you so much. You loved on my son. You would, you would uh, take him to Pizza Hut and, and feed, him, feed him pizza and, and just love on him and give him toys. And I just feel so much love in this place. We will never experience anything like this in a Muslim community. Not in the United States, not in Egypt. And so she was just uh, overcome by this um, unconditional love from the Christian community. And one day, I sat down with her after ESL class, and I said, uh, Suzanne, I'd like to share with you the real, true gospel message. And I began to share with her how much God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son. That's Jesus. He died. He laid down his life for, for you and me, Suzanne. And, and I said, Suzanne, God has been pursuing you. God says, I am like a good shepherd. I, I leave 99 sheep and go after the one lost sheep. And I believe God has been pursuing you, Suzanne. And it's no accident that you ended up in, in the shelter. And there's a purpose. God is weaving a beautiful story out of you. And he's going to bring all things together for the good of those who love him. Would you be willing to put your faith in Jesus? And she said, I do. And she told me, my best friend in Egypt is a Coptic Christian. She's been giving me Bibles. She's been trying to tell me about Jesus. But every time I bring the Bible home, my brother and my father would get angry and threaten to kill me. And they would throw the Bible into the toilet, the outhouse. And I've never got to read the Bible. But now I'm in America, free country. I get to read the Bible. And my best friend, that Coptic Christian friend, lives in Australia now. And she's been emailing me about Jesus. And you know what? And I get to be at that special friend who delivered the, the message of God, the gospel message in person, and she becomes Christian. And so we were like saying, hallelujah, Suzanne, you are now a new creation. You are now a child of God. And then as we were wrapping things up, we were about to go, and then Amur, the little boy who was playing with the Duplos on the side, he said, how about me? And we said, I said, what? How about you? What? He said, I want to receive Jesus. I said, Amur, do you know who Jesus is? He said, yes, Jesus is son of God. He died for us. And he rose again. He went to heaven, and he's coming back to get us. 
And I was like, what, Robert? You know the gospel message. Of course you can receive Jesus. So right then and there, he received Jesus into his heart. So both of them were saved. Hallelujah. And then we, um, I just linked them to a church nearby. It was a, an Assembly of God church. We're having ESL ministry. And the pastor said, can I have the privilege of baptizing her in our chamber, baptism chamber in the church? I said, yes. And so she was baptized in the Assembly of God church in Leesburg, Virginia. And so we were having a celebration. And now, because of the uh, work permit, she's, a, she's working at a, a child care, um, uh, like a kinder care, uh, and working full time. And she's pursuing accounting in a local Nova community college. She was an accountant in Egypt. Now she's getting the accounting degree in America, uh, in English. And so praise the Lord, God is doing that. They're attending a church in Reston, Virginia right now. And because of the love of the, the body of Christ that was shown to her. And she's serving God this way. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. So this is what God can do through this body of Christ. Even through your house church, I think your house groups, small groups, God can connect you with people who are in need. Um, just want to go back to about year 2000. When we moved out to Samarkand, Uzbekistan, I had the the opportunity to drink tea with a group of uh, Muslims, Tajik Muslims in a distant village. So that's a typical picture. It's not them, but it was a house like this. And as I sat down and I had limited Tajik, that's the language I was learning, they asked me, so where are you from? And I said, I'm Korean, but from America. And they asked me, so what do you believe? And I, I told them I'm a Christian. And then they said, we know a famous Christian. And I said, whoa, okay. So I was thinking maybe it's Tim Keller, you know, John Piper, Billy Graham, none of them. Said, Let me tell you who we think is the greatest Christian. And they said, Mother Teresa. And this is what they said. She's a Christian. Now we know that she's a Catholic nun. Um, but I believe she served with a genuine heart for the Lord. And this is what they said. We know of no, no Muslim priest or leader who has ever done anything like your Christian Mother Teresa. We respect her. We don't respect any of our leaders. It's really amazing. It's out in a village. And so even though I never met Mother Teresa and she wasn't there, you know, she was, by that time she was with the Lord, this gave me an opportunity to share my testimony. And I just said to them, oh, do you want to hear the faith that Mother Teresa held and the God that she believed in? And I got to share my testimony. Same thing, if you're meeting people from Pakistan, I've never heard about Dr. Ruth. They regard her very highly. The whole nation, she, she passed away last year. She established 150 leper uh, clinics all over Pakistan. And so when she passed away, it says the whole nation of Pakistan wept, and they gave her a state funeral. For the first and only time, a non-Muslim, a Christian woman, was given a state funeral because of her service to the people. So this is how God opens doors for people who are serving in the name of Christ. The third, demonstrate God's power, 1 Corinthians 2.4. Can you read that with me? Since it's on the screen. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirits of power. 
Amen. And so Paul tells us, yes, he was an, a great preacher. I believe he was an excellent preacher. But he said, it's not just preaching what I have studied, but I want to tell you that I have come also with a demonstration of Holy Spirit's power. And that's how God wants to send his ambassadors to people who are lost, to the Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists. And Jesus himself did this in John chapter 9, where he first heals a man who was born blind. And I don't know if you've ever met anyone like that. I've met one or two people where they have no eyelids. They were born without eyelids. So today we can fix that. But during Jesus' time, unless someone does surgery, they have no eyes. They cannot see. And Jesus heals this man, opens his eyes. But it's at the end of the chapter that Jesus reveals to him that he's the Messiah. And this man worships Jesus. And so, a little bit more about our ESL ministry. We, by God's grace, we started in 2013, five years ago. Leesburg, about 25 students. And among the students, this Kurdish Muslim couple, Del and Neshi. Del grew up in South Dakota, and of all places, I don't know why, from Iraq, they would go to South Dakota. Go figure. But God placed their family there. So he grew up in the States. He's fluent in English. But when he was about to get married, he went back to Iraq, to Kurdistan, and found Neshi. And they got married there. They had their wedding ceremony and came to the States. Neshi doesn't speak English well, so she joined our ESL program in the beginner level. And Dell, even though his English is great, he was in my class, which is level one. And he just wanted to stick around, and, and I was the only male teacher. So we had a great class. And then about two months later, Dell said, uh, he came to me and said, Pastor James, we're going to have a wedding reception from our for my Muslim friends who could not go to Iraq for the wedding ceremony. And he said, can you come and pray over the meal? So I told him, you know, I'm a Christian pastor. You want me to go and pray over a gathering of Muslims? And he said, yes, because I know what the Muslim priests pray. I don't like that. I like what you Christians pray. And he said, I've seen your relationship with your wife. And I like the relationship you have with your wife. So he asked us to come and pray, and we went there. There were about 50 to 70 uh, Kurdish Muslims, beautiful dresses, great food, great kebab. Um, so before I prayed, I read this verse, Proverbs 18:22, and it says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. So I told Del, you know, Del, the Bible says your wife is a gift from God. And God gives good gifts. He doesn't give bad gifts. And your wife comes with a lifetime guarantee. Okay? And then plus, heaven is not like Walmart. There's no customer service desk, no return, no exchange. Once you are married, you're married for life. And the whole group of Muslims loved it, especially the women. <laughs> and so I said, can I just pray over you? as a couple, but also pray for everyone here and pray over your nation. And everyone bowed their heads. And said, Jesus, thank you for this couple. And I just want to bless them in your name. Give them fruitful marriage. May they learn to love each other. And I just, you know, went on to pray for their nation. May you give peace to the people of Iraq, especially to the Kurds. 
And then after that, we ate good food, and you know, they do line dancing, if you're a dancer. I'm not a dancer, but my wife is, so for the next four hours, she's dancing with the women. And then it ended. Now, this is what the Muslims teach. This is a, uh, mer- um, a marriage counseling book that is sold in North America. And it says in here, in text, it says how a tr- husband... Right? It says, should treat the wife with kindness and love, even if she tends to be stupid and slow sometimes. How a husband may scold her, beat by hand or stick, withhold money from her, or pull her by the ears, because she is not at the same level of intelligence of the men. And this is what Dell was referring to. I know what my Muslim priests teach. I like what your Bible teaches. Six months later, his older brother was having his 10th year wedding anniversary. They're all Muslims. And he said, he called me up and he said, Pastor James, can you come and give us a sermon? So this time I prepared a 30-minute sermon from Ephesians 5 on how to love your wife and how to lay down your your body, your life for your wife, just as Christ laid down his life for the church and the whole group was listening to this message. And I don't know if any of them came to Christ. I'll explain a little bit later about Dal and Neshi, but they heard the gospel message. Well, over the years, through our ESL program, we had international Easter banquets in Leesburg, and one time we had about 400 guests, 33 nations, and Dal and Neshi came up. I'm sorry. Yeah, And they came up during that time, right up to the stage. And they brought this little boy. And what they said was, after we got married, we had four miscarriages. And then we came to one of these banquets, Christmas banquet. Again, it was for the international community. And they shared that they had four miscarriages. So Faith and I got around them. We called our Christian friends and we prayed over them. We laid our hands and said, Jesus, would you bless them with a child? And always pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Never leave his name out so that they know who gets the glory, you know, who gets the credit. So two months later, she got pregnant again, and this time she was able to keep the child. So when they came to our international Easter banquet, they brought up this fat, dumpy baby, you know, pretty heavy, and my wife is holding him, and they said, you Christians prayed for us, and Jesus answered your prayer. And they became a Christian. Praise God. And so God answers even Presbyterians' you know, prayers. You don't have to be a Pentecostal or any Baptist or Presbyterian. It doesn't matter. As long as you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, God will answer your prayers. And you know how to pray. And would you do that? Always say in the name of Jesus. And he will it is God's job. Our job is to pray. It's God's job to do the miracle and answer the prayer. And Acts 17, 26, 27 says this. Can you read this with me? And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not from each one of us. Amen. So this is a picture of our banquet. We had people 
Arabs, we had Jews, Persians, Chinese, Nepalese in our banquet. banquet. And that's what's happening here as well. God is people, bringing people from all nations to your community so that they would reach out to God and find him. But God still needs his ambassadors. And I believe the Lord is doing this even at this church at Harvest. He says, I will bring my, these, meaning the foreigners, I will bring to my holy mountain, make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. And we see in this room that it's not just, no longer just Asians, Koreans, but we see white, black, Latino, you know, people from other nations are coming, that this will be a house of prayer for all nations because that's God's heart. And the number three, that Jesus has unlimited authority. You know, when he said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, be my ambassadors to the ends of the earth. And so in our own life, God uh, took us to the mission field. I'm sorry, just in the year 2000, and we were there in Central Asia for 10 years. And then we were, um, by God's grace, we saw over 120 Muslims coming to Christ and uh, started four house churches. And in the year 2010, we come back to the States. Our kids have grown, and many of you know them. You've seen them last time. And the Lord provided each of our kids scholarship to study at UVA and at Princeton. But yesterday, Pastor D.L. kind of, um, he filled you in on what happened after our last visit, visit in 2010 or 2012. And it's when we were coming back from the mission field, we had not bought a home in the States. You know, because God called us to the mission field, we chose not to buy a home, even though I was an engineer and my wife was a pharmacist, and we worked 10 years in our field. And so as we were coming back, our church and mission agency, both very supportive, they said, there is no missionary house for you. So when you come back, our church said, we will help you with first-year rent, which is like 2000 a month, and which is very generous. But after one year, we're on our own. And after one year, year and a half, we cannot pay for 2000 a month rent. We were paying 500 a month on the field. And so pretty soon we'll be homeless. And so when we first heard the news that we didn't have a missionary house, we had a family devotion. This is back in Kyrgyzstan on the mission field. And we read Matthew 6.33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I said to my wife and children, this promise is from Jesus. It's not from our church or mission agency or anyone else. It's from Jesus. And we left everything to follow Jesus to the mission field. And we're going back home and we have no house. But if Jesus were to give you a house, what would you like in a house? And on the whiteboard, we wrote, I wrote it down. So Karis, our youngest, she was 14 at the time. She said, I want a swimming pool. And then Josiah said, I want a big yard with a dog. Joniel, firstborn, he said, I want, a, I want lots of trees because Uzbekistan was like a desert. Faith asked for hardwood floor. And then I said, then I want a brick house to contain it all. And so about a year and a half after we came back, pretty soon we won't be able to make the payments and we have to 
leave the house that we were renting. My old friend from work, his name is Bob, dear white Christian, strong believer, 10 years older than me. We worked in the same engineering company for 10 years. And he and his wife met with us, and he said, we want to help you in your ministry. What do you need? And we told him, well, the ministry with Crescent Project is going well, but we need a house less than 1000 a month, an apartment or a house. We can afford that. And then he and his wife said, you know, we built a house in Leesburg, Virginia, 30 years ago with our own hands. And God has blessed us. And we built another house three hours south in Virginia. And we're living in the new house, but the first house is empty. Would you like to go and live there? And you don't have to pay rent, just pay the utilities. And you can stay there until Jesus comes back. So we go to this house. It's a four-bedroom brick house. It has hardwood floor in all the rooms, 10 acres of land, lots of trees, two acres of lawn, which Josiah is mowing because he asked for it. So be careful what you ask for. It has a swimming pool. And you know, the, the swimming pool had not been used for 10 years, so Bob asked Karis, Karis, do you really want the swimming pool? And of course she said, oh yes. And so he spent $25,000 to fix it up just to fulfill what we had written down. And, and then our neighbor gave us a dog as a gift. So Jesus fulfilled all the things that we asked for. And I want to say humbly to you that it's not our prayer, but it's the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. He will keep his promise. He loves to keep his promises, but you have to be willing to trust him. You cannot hold on to two things. If Jesus is all you have, he will fulfill his promise because he knows that I am it. You have nothing else. You have no one else. And so here in America, this is our challenge. Even as young people, you may be hearing the voice of America, even inside the church walls, to build up your retirement plan. And what Jesus said on the screen is his retirement plan. And Jesus says, let's read this together. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left or home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And I know... In America, we don't struggle with this, but may I sh share with you, on, in Central Asia and Uzbekistan, some of our Muslim friends, as soon as they come to Christ, this is the reality. They lose their family, they're kicked out of their home, many of them, their heads cut off, they lose their jobs, they lose their property. And Jesus, you know, one time there's this woman, about 30 years old, she was a Muslim, she came to Christ, and on that first day, she asked Jesus to heal her, and Jesus did. And I was so jealous, and I was saying, you know, I've been a Christian for 25 years. Why don't you do that in my life? And it's, if God is saying, but James, you have so many other things. To this woman, I am all she has. Why would I not heal her? Why would I not listen to her prayer? Because I am all she has. And some of you, you're going to be laying down your jobs to be going overseas. And this is the reality of Jesus' promise in America, we need to come to grips 
with Christ's commands and His promises. And I want to close with this final testimony of Christ's authority. This really touched us. So we, we met this Uzbek pastor, gifted evangelist, many years ago. And then he shared his testimony, how he became a, a pastor. He was living in Tashkent, which is capital city, part of a Russian Pentecostal church. And one week, they decided to pray, fast and pray. And then the following week, they said, we're going to send all of you out to do evangelism. So this young Uzbek man was sent to a distant village. And he went to the village, and the houses look like this. You know, in Uzbekistan, they have wall and a metal gate. So he went to the first house, knocked on the gate, and a man came out, a Muslim man. He wore a Muslim prayer cap, and he said, what do you want? And he said, well, I came to tell you about Iso Masi, which is Jesus Christ in Uzbek. And the man said, man asked him, are you a Christian? And he said, yes. Oh, I don't want anything to do with Christians. Get out of my house. So this man, young Uzbek man went back to his pastor and said, can you tell me to go to another village because I'm not welcome in that village? And the pastor said, no, we prayed. You're supposed to go back to that same village and to the same house. So the next day, he went to the same house, and this man, when he saw him, I told you not, not to come back to my house. The next time you come, I'm going to clobber your head. I'm going to beat you to a pulp. And he showed him the stick. And so the, this man you know, dejected, rejected. He went back to the pastor and said, okay, I definitely cannot go back. And the pastor said, no, you're going back to the same house, to the same village tomorrow. And so as he was going to, on the third day, the first two times he said, he prayed to God, God, would you open their hearts to the gospel? The third time he prayed, God, would you save my life? I'm going to be killed. So he went to that house, and right outside the gate, there was a little five-year-old girl playing by herself. So he said, at least I'm going to preach the gospel to her. Okay, so he knelt down and started telling her about Jesus. And the girl was listening. And after about five minutes, the father heard what was happening, and he realized he saw through the gate that it was this guy. So he brought out a stick, and he was about to hit him on the head, and the little girl said, Papa, stop, don't. Don't hit him. You need to listen to him about Jesus. And from now on, you're going to go to church every Sunday. And the father, he dropped the stick and he cried. And the reason is, his daughter was deaf and mute from birth. And this Uzbek evangelist did not know that. And as he was preaching the gospel to this little girl, Jesus healed her. And so the father and the rest of the house came to Christ Seven people in that household came to Christ, and they started a house church. This is our Lord Jesus. As we go as his ambassadors, we have no power to heal anybody. But as we obey and as we are faithful, he will do the healing. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this church. Thank you that this is a church, Harvest Church. And may many come into your kingdom through this church. But even this week, Lord, would you send us out to be your ambassadors to the nations that are here. Even all we have to do is greet them in the name of Jesus. Pray for them in the name of Jesus. Tell them a testimony about Jesus. And you will do the healing. You will do the miracles. Help us to be clean vessels, Lord. 
that will take your word, your love, your power to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name.